When I am on my family property, I feel like I am eight years old again. Although many of the trees I climbed as a child, along with the house I grew up in, were all lost in the fire, life is returning to the property, and it reminds me of how it looked when I was small. A creek runs along the edge of the property, carving out a path and changing some throughout the years, but the land, for the most part, remains consistent. I formed my identity on this land, discovering who Kelly was in relation to myself, my family, my biological family, and even my own children. Just as the family property is rebuilding itself, my upcoming trip to attend my birth mother's memorial in Louisiana will help me rebuild my story. I'm Kelly, and this is Do You Know Your Real Mom? I think we become who we are through a mishmash of genetics, relationships, and experiences. For me, growing up with a closed adoption meant that I knew there were more pieces to the puzzle than I currently had. Hearing from my birth mother, Belle, and my biological brother, Jonathan, for the first time was starting to help me discover some of the missing pieces. Identity can be a tricky concept, as can family. I taught middle school for over a decade, and I saw students struggle with who they wanted to be or who they thought they should be. I used the story of my adoption in hopes to validate their varied experiences and reassure them that family can look very different, and that's okay. It's just part of our story. I would draw out my family tree, immediate family only, siblings with their spouses and children, and it took up most of the whiteboard. When my children ask how many cousins they have, I have a hard time answering. You've already been introduced to my biological brother, Jonathan. I grew up with my adopted brother and sister, who are both also adopted. My brother, Keith, is two years younger than me. We grew up like typical siblings, squabbling over checkers and playing pirates in the treehouse. Not being biologically related, we look nothing alike. He's a six-foot-four tough guy with a big red beard, and I'm five-foot-two and spunky. It was really fun when we were both in high school. I was a senior when he was a freshman. I used to love to ruin his game by running up and hugging him when he was talking to girls, who had a hard time believing his excuses that I was his big sister. My little sister Tori was born when I was 14 and Keith was 12. People would joke assumptions about Tori being an oopsie third until they found out she was adopted. The gap years in between hold another story of an adoption that fell through, but it just goes to prove that Tori was meant to be the one who joined our family. When Tori was born, I knew I wanted to be the best big sister possible. I took her everywhere with me. Even though people at the park would sometimes give me judgy looks, I didn't care. I never understood how maternal my love for Tori was until I had children of my own. Well, clearly that is not enough siblings to cover a whiteboard. I have several more on my biological father's side that I would get to meet in the years to come but we aren't to that part of the story yet. When I was teaching, I was grateful that my adoption story could reassure my students who came from non-traditional family backgrounds. They knew I got it. I understood the identity questions they may have been struggling with, not just in relation to family, but in the way they were struggling to define their identity. 
Being a middle school teacher was another huge part of my identity, one that was about to change. I loved being goofy and authentic with my students, forming caring relationships over the three years they were in my classes. I remember joking with them about if I had to act like a grown-up or work in an office. I couldn't imagine wearing a suit. My connections with the students and their families were a huge part of my identity. Then, based on my students' needs, I decided to step out of the classroom and help design a small high school option for students who wanted a smaller model to fit their needs. After working on program development for three years, we finally opened our doors and I was the site principal. I remember describing the school to people as being everything we had hoped. And that November, the fire hit and I was forced to re-examine my identity as many of the pieces of my life that had defined me were stripped away. Two days before the fire, we held an expo at the school where students presented to town leadership, parents, and community members on their ideas for how to improve our town. I remember passionately telling the student body how much I loved Paradise and how excited I was for their positive impact. I won't dwell on the day of the fire, but in a minute, everything was gone. Our homes, the amazing school site where I had ordered every stitch of furniture and students had painted the walls, along with my sister's home, my childhood home, and every printed photo or memento our family had owned. But losing Paradise was a part of my identity that I quickly recaptured. After looking at houses across the county, although we knew Paradise was never going to be the same, my husband and I bought a house up on the ridge that had survived, and we were back up the hill five months after the fire. My friend Casey recently said to me, you moved back to Paradise when moving back to Paradise was hard, and she's not wrong. Moving back to Paradise at that point wasn't an option for most unless their home had survived the fire. Even for those who tried to come back as quickly as possible, rebuilding took time. We made the choice as a family to drive through debris daily, getting stuck behind the hundreds of dump trucks, cranes, and heavy equipment everywhere we went. Just yesterday, my daughter commented, Mom, remember when the streets still didn't have any cars? But on the other hand, it was a chance for all of us to choose for Paradise to remain a part of our identity as we chose to be active participants in rebuilding the town we love. But the rest of my family did not. Despite having lived within 15 minutes of all of my family forever, my sister and her family have relocated to Idaho. My parents, brother, and Nana are all now in Utah. While I understand their reasons, it's incredibly hard to readjust to my family being so far away and now seeing each other rarely. And my story in that way is not unique. Our little town was fragmented into pieces that spread family, friends, and neighbors across the country. But there was one more hit to my identity that was to come. While transitioning to, from teaching to administration had stretched me, I had remained with the same organization. But as the fallout from the fire was still settling, I remember telling a family member that I didn't know who I was outside of that organization. It was like another family another family that I was about to lose. I knew who I was in that environment. The teachers and staff had been a part of my daily life for over a decade, spending time together outside of school, playing a role in my kids growing up. We'd really watched each other grow up over the years. Anytime people asked me what my dream job was, it was being the principal of that high school I had helped design before the fire. But we had designed that school to serve a market that was no longer present as we operated out of a church in a neighboring town to finish out the year. 
We fought through that year together. Teachers taking calls from insurance companies while I've covered their classes, knowing every day I was showing up to model resilience, reassuring everyone it's okay when it wasn't. My students were hurting, our staff was hurting. For the first two months, I was living in a trailer with no internet. After that, I was in a house with no heat until we moved back up the hill. My biggest heartbreak was when we had to make the decision as a cabinet that the high school couldn't operate the next year. That meant my dream was over. I would have to say goodbye to the extended family I had grown close to, the program I had helped design, and the students and staff I had grown to love. I would have to re-examine my own identity yet again. And now, the rebuild continues. Paradise continues to rebuild into a new iteration of itself. My family prepares to rebuild a home on the property I grew up on. I have had the opportunity to rebuild my identity in ways I never thought possible, including joining a new organization where I get to apply my learning from high school development to benefit students on an even broader level. And now, with Belle's passing, I get to rebuild the story of my journey, the story of my adoption, the story of my family. I told you that my birth mother's name means pretty. Well, Kelly means brave. I used to think that being brave meant my hobbies of downhill skiing, abalone diving, and learning to harvest my own meal while backpacking. I knew being brave meant starting a school from scratch, leading hurting people through a historic disaster, and starting all over again. I'm now learning that sometimes bravery means looking inside, taking time to fully process what I feel, and hitting pause to reflect when I lose someone like Belle. Today I reached out to the agency I was adopted through and asked them to send me any documentation they have regarding my adoption. In the meantime, I reached out to Jonathan to make sure he was comfortable with me posting this podcast. His sweet, compassionate response was, am I going to ugly cry? I hope not, but I hope this podcast brings healing. People have already begun reaching out to me to start sharing their stories. I'm so excited to see where this journey takes us. Be well, and I'll see you next time on Do You Know Your Real Mom?